Season 9, episode 28. Shout out to everybody for watching. Shout out to everybody for supporting. Shout out to everybody that has helped us to get this far so far. Shout out to everyone that has been supporting the real world all throughout this year. We're in the month of October, which means the next thing that's going to come up is the turkey drive. The annual turkey drive coming up right now. You can support the real world at any time. Check us out at www.therealworldministriesinc.org. That's therealworldministriesinc.org. You can donate um, if you got cash out. That's the dollar sign, the real word ink, dollar sign, the real word ink. If you want to check out our videos and the work that we've done, go to youtube.com backslash the real word ink, the real word ink. Um, sorry, the real word TV, the real word TV as one word on YouTube, the real word TV as one word on YouTube. Or go to Facebook, www.facebook.com backslash the real word seven, the number seven, like Mike Vick. I'm here with a special new guest. Introduce yourself, sir. Uh, my name is Clifton David. I'm 20 years old from Ebenezer SDA. Uh, that's as far as I guess, you know, I can introduce myself because this is my first time on a podcast. So, you know. Okay, okay. So let's ask this. Why did you lead with introducing yourself with the name of your church? Uh, I mean, that's what I rep, you know. I mean, <laughs> um, in all honesty, uh, that's where I grew up, I would say. Mm -hmm. Apart from my family, that's basically all I know growing up. Mm. Uh, I formed a community there. People who pour into me and people who, who really support me, I'll say, you know, so. Mm. Like, Lise, like, all like, and I would say for me, it was the same way growing up, you know, now that I'm much older, like I'm 35 and you're 20. So it was a 15 year age difference. Yeah. When we were younger, like that church community was close knit. Like the other day I was sitting um, at a table and there was a lot of different youth from different churches there and Patricia was there too and I was like yo you you noticed that we all grew up together since we was kids to now and we got kids and you you guys are getting married I'm like that's matter where like <laughs> it's like the twilight zone we all been uh, stuck together <laughs> for years and she's like yeah I know it's crazy yeah. and I was like I looked around the table and it was like people I've known since I was a kid and like you said it's a close-knit community like it's so niche but it's like there's a whole community within it. And I'm guessing, like, that's how the Jewish community is. That's how the Chinese community is. That's, like, yeah. like, all those communities are. So what do you think was one of the lessons that you've learned within that community? <clears throat> one big lesson. Mm -hmm. I guess it would be relying on them, to be honest. Uh, growing up, I, 
I'm a, I was called a loner or like a lone wolf. Mm. Not in like a, the way that people often take it, but I used to be in my own little world just thinking, you know, mm. as we spoke about briefly earlier. Mm-hmm. But I guess as I grew, I kind of realized that, you know, these they're basically family. And if mm. you're in a family, that means you interact with, with each other. Yeah, of course. So it's not even interacting with them, but in general with like my friends who often claim that I'm detached from reality or something. Mm. So I guess that would be one one of the big things that my church have taught me to just connect with your family and be there and support each other and things of that nature. Mm. Yeah. One of my cousins was an elder at your church. Um, his last name was Tasi. He had died a couple years back. They had the funeral at the church. Maybe like I don't remember what was his first name. Jacques yeah, Jacques Tassi. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, yeah, he got the same name as my grandfather. Yeah, that was... He was like an uncle to me. Like, he was one of the people that first embraced us when we first came to America. And he was the one that started taking my mom and us to Seventh-day Adventist churches. And then we went around churches until we settled down in in the church that we at now. And like you said, it is a family. Like, you grow up together like... Yeah. We went through so much together. Like, like there's youth that I've known since they were babies, and then I went to their high school graduations. Like, that's how long we've <laughs> been deep in this game, bro. Like, so it's like, it is an honor and it's a blessing to watch, you know, people grow up and to be there for people and to watch it all happen, like, right in front of your eyes. Yeah. So, you know, I'm humbled by the experience. It's good to hear. You know, especially growing up together, it's like, you know, sometimes I'm just like looking at them and I'm like, wow, you guys are adults now, you know? It's yeah. just, it just hits you like yeah. fast. You know, so. There's people that I've known since they were babies that I went to their weddings. <laughs> yeah. I'm really showing my age now, right? <laughs> so it was like, I used to carry you as a baby and now I'm at your wedding. So it was yeah. like, sheesh. So, you know, like it's a blessing just to, just to see that, like. So what made you come on and want to come on the real world? So let's hear this. All right, let's get it. So um, I guess um, I think two or three years ago during the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken, oh. I saw something from you on Facebook. You know, you know when you just see something and you just glance by it? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Um, as it kept going on, kept going on, I started seeing your videos and I'm like, okay, this guy, he's an SDA. He's a Christian, but he's not doing what? Christians typically do on their podcast. No, no, no. For example, you, you normally find an SD talking about Jesus is coming soon, it's coming soon, and we're all gonna go to hell, heaven, heaven. Spirit but, of prophecy. Yeah, but <laughs> I feel like you talk about practical issues. It's not to say that Jesus is coming soon is not of importance, but mm-hmm. we're still on earth. Mm-hmm. We still have a life to live, you feel me? So yeah. the fact that you talk about issues on a wide range, basically, mm. you know, got me interested. I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe I should just come and just talk a bit about certain topics that we can connect on or we can exchange information about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's deep because, like you said, like when you're in the church, they act like nothing else is going on outside. Yeah. It's like if a bomb blow up outside <laughs> yeah. and the doors <laughs> close, they're just going to keep singing and praying. It's like what I told you earlier. I feel like a lot of these pastors are lazy. I feel like they they inherit a status that, that some of them are not worthy of, you know, and I'm just going to say it like that. They could feel however way they want to feel. Like I've seen pastors in America. I've seen pastors in Haiti. I've seen pastors from all over the world. I've sat with 
a couple years ago, I went to the clergyman's dinner, like, um, Mayor, who's the, Mayor Eric Adams, before he was mayor, he was Brooklyn Borough President, he used to have a, a yearly interfaith dinner where he used to invite all the top heads of all the religious people mm-hmm. to, to, like, a meeting in Borough Hall, and I used to be invited to that meeting, so... And I used to sit there, and I was the only SDA person in the room. <laughs> so, so, so it, it was like I was able to sit there and soak it up. And the only reason why why I was there, not because of what I said, but because of the things that I've done. You understand? And I feel like that's the difference. Because a lot of the time, these people were just talk for a lot of the time. Like you said, church is like a family. I've been going to the same church for over 30 years. And you know how I know it's been over 30 years? Because since my sister was born, she's 30 years old. For the last 30 years, they were saying, you know the thing. Oh, we, we need money to buy a new church. We need money to buy a new church. We need building fun. And it's like, after 33 years, they made me building director. That's how long it took them to buy the church. With me in that position, within two years, we closed on a building this past this past March. It's so it was like, what were these other people doing for 30 years? These people that, 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 that stands on this elevated platform every week and they speak down to you. Mm. Like they're so close to God. That's true. So it's like, true. what? And then when you really get close to them, when you sit in committee, when you're hanging out with them, when you see them outside of the suits, you like... It was all a facade. It's like the man from The Wizard of Oz that sits behind the little curtain. <laughs> and you pull it back and he has this big voice. When you pull it back, it's a little man sitting back there. And it's like, and even going to Haiti, like I really seen it. Like, because in Haiti, it's like they're, they're so poor and they're living in a sense of like survival. They don't got time to lie. Like, even though they lie a lot still, but they like... The truth comes out quicker than it is, like, in America. Like, you know, they just like, ah, it is what it is. Like, it's like, whatever. Like, probably the people that can lie to you the most in Haiti is probably family members because you will trust them a little bit. <laughs> like, strangers, you already know what time it is. So you're like, nah, I'm good, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, So that's how it is. It's like, Haiti really showed me, like, Haitians for what they are. So it's like, it's like, I understand you guys now. You know, I've been to Haiti. I understand you guys. Like, and after 33 years... Because I came to America at the age of two. After 33 years, I went back to Haiti. And that's when I did all the things that you saw. And it's like, that was the first time I came back there in 33 years. And you see how the people received me yeah. as a complete stranger almost. And it's like, it's almost like they welcomed me back. Like, And it's like, but I didn't come back empty-handed with just prayers and hopes for them, you know? Like, I fed their needs, you know? Like, ironically enough, I... I went to my father's hometown on a horse that's named Jesus Saves, Jesus Sauve. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's like I didn't even know there was a castle in my dad's hometown, and it's like, it's like you know, it's like all these things, and it's like you know, all this is is by divine intervention, you know, and it's like a, I'm walking in my purpose only because there's nothing else for me to do besides do that. So it's like, yeah, I could BS, I can do this and that. And it's like, mm, let me just do this, you know, at least while I'm here in this position. Uh, that's pretty, pretty interesting. Cause not a lot of people, when you think about it, have like a a vision or something. Mm. They f- see fit to do, you know. And I think that's a a big reason why a lot of people in this generation they have no guidance. They're just going here and there, this that, not nothing substantial. You know? 
But I can't say I had complete guidance, man, because out of like I was just trying to like when I finished high school, I was in survival mode. Like I was just trying to finish high school on time. Like I didn't want to be one of those kids that like came back and you know like did night school and all that. So I I did a couple summer classes and I finished on time, you know. And then I was just like, yes, I'm done. Like let me just go get a job and just BS. And my dad was like, no, you're gonna go straight to college. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's just like, just pick something medical. <laughs> and I was just like, oh man. And that's what I did ultimately. And then. I ended up failing biology three times because of it. Was placed on academic probation. Almost kicked out of college. Almost was a college dropout, like Kanye West. Like, <laughs> you know. And then one day I woke up. I made a change. And then, I, 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 like, I woke up and really made a change. I woke up and I went to the admissions office and changed my major. <laughs> and then I just started taking life differently. And then I was like, okay, now you're an adult. Like, yo, your parents could comment here and there, but it's like you ultimately you make the final decision. It's like, what are you going to do that's going to help you to survive and support yourself and maybe a family in the future? So that's when it started to hit me. But even so, like, I had to learn the world. It's like, I didn't want to be one of those people that only know church, and I didn't want to be one of those people that only knew street. Mm -hmm. So that's when different things came about, like, you know, self-education, you know, self-mastery, but also, like, formal education and learning things at a high level at, in every single field. Like, I didn't limit myself. I didn't allow myself to be limited like a lot of people do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. So, like, I make myself uncomfortable sometimes. Like, I'll go in a room by myself and then be amongst people that I don't know, and then I'll see the uncomfortable looks on their faces, and then I'll make myself uncomfortable just to be there, just to have it done. Like, I've been in rooms where I have to go to people, I talk to them, and they just don't say a word and turn their back and walk off. But it's like, if I just meet one person in that room, my whole entire life can change, and I could change the life of thousands yeah. of people, if not millions. And it's happened before. It's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. It's like you have a rich life story. I mean, what I've been doing... A lot, and I've been trying to do it from a positive state of state of mind. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to envision positive things and then manifest them in the person. I started to do it with small things, and I started to do it with big things. One of the things I did it with was with my house. Like, I would look at mansions mm -hmm. online, and I would see how the insides of mansions look. And I started building the insides of my house like that, like pieces by pieces by pieces. Like I'll get rugs, I'll get antiques, I'll get furniture, I'll get stuff. And then, you know, after a while, it all came together. Um, the, like one of the things I wanted was a grandfather clock. I've been wanting one of those for years only because, like I told you, Batman, like, you know, when he pulls the lever down on the clock, yeah. the back cable open, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But then the clock is so intricate, and it's like every, almost every mansion you look at, you always find the grandfather clock. And I was like, let me get one of those. And then ironically enough, I found the $4,000 clock. I paid $150 for it. And then, you know, we're putting together the church. So one of the people that's working together on the church is a structural engineer. He's helping me fix some of the broken parts inside the clock. So it's like, you know, it's friendships like that. And it's like you meet different people. Yeah. Yeah, he's a 52-year-old Danish guy from... From Denmark, <laughs> but you know we're friends, so it's like, you know, stuff like that happens. You know, like I didn't, and, and that would have never happened if I kept it straight. Black people, or straight Haitian people, or straight small mind, or let me just 
Like, I could never get one of those clocks. They're like $4,000. Like, you know, no, there's there's a way. Like, you know, all I took was like a text message to someone. Like, yeah, I got it from this lady that lived here. She didn't live in. It was a lady that lived in Manhattan. She was moving to the Hampton. She gave it to a guy in Staten Island. And I'm a guy from Brooklyn. I drove to Staten Island. I picked it up from him because he was moving to someplace else. So it's just like, it just had to be chance and the, the time, you know? It didn't really matter the, the, the cost. It just had to be connecting to the right people at the right time. Interesting. Especially having like that, like we spoke about that community. Oftentimes we're kind of limited to like church too. I think that's something like yeah, a lot of people do. It's like uh, expand it. It's not only Christians, there's atheists that, that can do stuff and offer stuff, you know? Of course. Et cetera, et cetera. When I started this ministry, the real word, a lot of the people that came on the first and second season were people from church, like straight from church. But then after, as the seasons went along, like I ran out of people, people that wanted to come on, people that had something to say, people that weren't camera shy, people that weren't hating, like people that was willing to help the movement. We ran out mm. because the church community is but so big and it's like people, all of them have their own feelings and emotions that come along with it. So it's like after a while I ran out of people. It's like almost when I've been doing the youth leadership. I've been a youth leader since 2016. So, of course, I'm going to run out of preachers to preach. And it's like, if I've been preaching since 2016, mm-hmm. of course, I'm going to get better. And I'm doing everything at a high level because I want to do everything at a high level. Yeah. But that's going to cause insecurity amongst people, amongst men, you know, because mm-hmm. men always have that ego. Mm-hmm. Well, Freud calls it the ego. Um, some people might call it the spirit. Some people might call it the soul. So, you know, that, that gets fractured when they compare themselves to the talents of another man. You know, mm-hmm. that's biblical, you know. It was a man, like, he received, what was it, four talents, one received two talents, the one that received one, like, he cursed and he buried it, and he was like, this all you gave me was one master, and you still come to to collect on it, like, they look like, oh, okay, this guy, like, you know, might throw you in the well or bury you, like, one of those stories. So, so you know, like, jealousy's a real thing, so you always got to balance that out, and so I ran out of people after the se- second, third season, and... The SD community supported a lot when I first started. Like, you know, they were the ones, like, I started, when I started my ministry, a lot of the programs I did inside the church building, like, my church used to rent the Hebron School building for years until it was condemned, until we was forced to buy our own building. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, you know, like, the church supported what they could. Church also benefited from a lot of the drives we did, too. Yeah. You know, they benefited a lot. But then after a while, like, you know, people go through <clears throat> their own economical hardships, but also with success. Like, people could look at it like you're asking for donations, but you look like you got more money than us. <laughs> like, why should we give you donations, you know? So that's something that you really deal with, you know? And so then when it goes from that, you then got to go to the corporate sponsors, you know, the bigger companies. But then you hear criticism and pushback like, oh, you going to white people to help black people? How you feel about that? But black people are saying they don't got money to help black people. Yeah. So, but then when you go to white people to hack, to act or not act. When I started wearing the chains, a lot of them got upset. They was like, oh, why are you wearing chains, blah, blah, And then it caused me to really research on it, you know, like biblically and compare it to like the SDA handbook, you know. And the SDA handbook always refers to certain scripture, but they use the scriptures out of content because they don't go through the whole entire scripture. Because it's almost like you're reading a book of Matthew and then you take, like, okay, I'll give you an example. Matthew 24 Matthew chapter 24 verse 8 and you only stick on verse 8 but there's a whole chapter there's a whole story going on but you pull that one verse out in order for you to use it against someone else Mm -hmm. 
perfect example when they talk about um tattoos they're like don't make marks against don't make marks on the flesh for the dead right so so then they always use that to say don't get tattoos but in the same line it also says don't don't cut the sides of your hair as well so it's saying don't cut off your sideburns and don't cut off your beards that's why the jews they keep it curly yeah so it's like SDAs don't keep it curly, bro. It's, it's, like, cold, hot, cold, it's like it's, it's like you're picking and choosing. And then I went to okay, who's who's writing down the manual? Like I really broke it down. And then it's like they go to the GC and they go to the grand conference and a bunch of men like me and you sit down and they decide on stuff. They they make a a manual handbook and they pass it down. I'm like that's just like a job when you get hired for a job and they give you the code of ethics for a job. Like here, if you don't follow it, you get fired or you get written up or stuff like that. And they refer back to the code of conduct or the CPLR or whatever it is, and and they use that against you. And it's, and it's like that's the same exact thing. That's what you're saying. I mean, I can see it, especially with, like, my hair. Yeah. I get a lot of heat for it. But, but for like, no reason. Yeah, it's like, I don't know how this hair is... But it's cultural. Sin. It's, it's cultural, really, though. Yeah, it's like, but then that gets even more complicated, because they mix the cultural with the religion. Mm-hmm. And then they make their own rules on top of it, and then they got their customs and cultures. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know... And, but when you really sit down and re- you really look at it and you really understand it, like, it gets deep. And it's like, it depends on what level of it you're in. Yeah. You know? And sometimes I'll break it down in my videos, but I think it goes over a lot of people's heads sometimes. That's true. Especially with, like, public opinion. Yeah. People will just take a narrative, run with it, not check it, and check the facts. And just That's so small, small. Like, yeah. during COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, the... Like, I would say certain things because I was outside. Like, yeah. you know, I was outside. I would tell people, like, yo, I'm outside. Like, I used to make vlogs of walking up and down a block. And I'm like, yo, look, it's empty. No one's here. Like, I used to take walks 2, 3 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like, walk down the street because everybody was inside scared. So, it was like nothing to be scared of. Like, it was safe outside. Mm-hmm. So, it was like, I was like, look. And it was like, people like, oh, my God, put on a mask. Put on a mask. Like, they were wishing harm on me for not putting on a mask. It was weird. And it was like... SDA people, like a lot of them, was like being disrespectful on, on Facebook because of my opinion. It was like, oh, you for you to have a platform that big and for you to be going against this, like I guess going against COVID and going against the mass narrative and everything. It was like, oh, I was being irresponsible, and then I still had like I was still doing youth programs even during the time when they said COVID because a lot of churches closed early like a lot of people bowed out before they told them to bow out yeah. it was like oh no we gonna, we're not going and it was like oh you're irresponsible you're still doing the church thing blah 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 we hope the police come and shut y'all down and I was like yo like really and I was like yo isn't this what the bible warned about like the whole entire time about the people gonna come it's gonna be hard to worship but y'all the same people that was reading this the whole time when church was open and now y'all the ones are saying to stay home it's like like it was really, really, really weird, bro. It was, it was, it was really weird, and it's like it felt almost like I was in the twilight zone because the whole time <laughs> I, I was growing up, they would always talk about old oh, Revelation, the end time, six six six, the mark of the beast, all oh, this is gonna happen. Church is gonna be closed. They, you you won't be able to buy food. This is gonna happen. Blah blah. Mm-hmm. And when we had a little taste of that, who were the first ones to fold? Now, that's a good point because one thing I saw during COVID was Mark of the Beast this, Mark of the Beast that, people packing their things up and going elsewhere. And I'm like, it's it's a virus, okay? It's an issue, okay? But where does this say that 
Jesus is coming. How does Jesus fit into this? Mm. Not in the sense of this, the COVID was probably like a foreshadow. Because mm-hmm. as you said, we got a taste of it. Mm. It's probably like, okay, God, this is how it might play out like. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just the mass hysteria. People just running around and just being so afraid. And you have these pastors or just, oh, guys, Jesus is coming soon. Just that makes sense to me. The, the pastors went on stage and told people to take the COVID vaccines because mm-hmm. that they were technically part of that agenda you know and they get funding from those same people mm-hmm. i don't have much knowledge on that so i can't really speak on it you know? all right yeah. i'll explain to you um there's something called the faith-based initiative fbi ironically enough under i think it was george w bush or george h bush um they did something which allowed the uh, the churches to get money from the federal government. And that way they were able to quell any uprisings or any civil rights movements that came out of the church. Because back then, majority of the civil rights and majority of the leaders came out of the church. Mm-hmm. Reverend Al Sharpton, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend Martin Luther King. False of false ideas and harmful extent with truth and false, right? Okay. You got Andrew Tate and okay. the Red Pill. Mm-hmm. They're talking about self-improvement mm-hmm. now. I mean, psychology says as you grow up from a baby to a toddler, et cetera. So that's growing up. That's evolution. That's change. Yeah, physically. That's good. Yeah, you know, and mentally also, well, the person you were at 16, not the same as 25. Mm-hmm. 25, your prefrontal cortex, cortex, it fully develops. Yeah. You're technically an adult. Mm-hmm. And so change, in my opinion, it's not bad. It's necessary. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's when you mask it under getting women. I was unable to record. Oh, that's all right. It's back on. Yeah. Part two. We're going to edit it out. Um, I forgot what I was saying just now. Peace Corps. Oh, yeah. So the Peace Corps. Um, so there was a guy there, um, a, a, a Caucasian man. And, and we used to do home visits. So me and him was going to a home visit together. But he was an asshole. Like, you know. Like, he was just being weird, but he was flat-footed, so he'd be like... Ugh, uh, uh. So, like, we, 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 we was walking through the South Bronx, and the South Bronx has a lot of doo-doo. Like, if you don't look where you're going, like, there's dog doo-doo everywhere. Like, you know, they don't care. They don't pick up after their dogs. And so he's walking, he's walking, he's walking. And me and him is talking, and he's like, oh, I'm an atheist. I'm like, oh, you're an atheist? I'm like, oh, you don't believe in God? Like, no, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in none of that. You know, I was like, oh, and then he's like, yeah, I don't believe in none of that, blah, blah, blah. And then he just caught an attitude and he just kept was walking. So he's walking, he's walking, he's walking. He slips on doo-doo. And you know what's the first thing he says? Oh, God. Yeah. He says, oh, my God. Like, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, if you don't believe in God, why was that the first name you called? And he's like, oh, that's just a saying. That's just a saying. I'm like, yeah, so what are you saying? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's like, they believe in God, man. They just don't want to... Praise God, I feel like. So they want to do whatever it is they want to do. So they deny the existence of God so that they don't feel the guilt of what they're doing, I feel like. That's just my personal opinion. I could be wrong. I mean, I mean, some days, I, I'll be honest with you, I wake up and I kind of question if God exists. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not to say that I don't believe, but, you know, there are some days where I just think about life. And you're like, man, you know, mm-hmm. all the evil that's going on, man, like, is it really true? And then you catch yourself again, you know, so. What about the God in you? What do you mean? Like, the God in you. Like, how do you show people that God exists? Me, I would say... Taking care of others. In the sense of, you know, 
Jesus' whole message is about loving your neighbor. Um, and I feel like as Christians, we've lost what that means entirely, mm-hmm. right? Because when you go and you're preaching to someone, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, well, you're going to hell, do this and that. This no, and that. I don't. No, no, I'm just saying like the, over the general view, right? I never tell people that anymore. Like I try to meet them where they're at. Yeah, and so it's like, um, what I try to do is like, because people deal with stuff, right? And yeah, so if you're going to going to meet them at you're going to hell mm. how are you really fixing them or are you really helping their needs you feel me that's not to say they're not calling out sin mm. it's a different thing but people need community they need love exactly like what you do they need food they need water mm. you know and i guess that's how i try it by doing my best possible to just meet certain needs or just teach them about something you know hate the sin but love the sinner yeah so if someone didn't know you went to Ebenezer Church and they just saw you, how would they be able to tell that you are Christian? I would say my kindness. Mm-hmm. I get that I'm pretty kind often. So um, the way I approach people, I treat people with respect. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't put myself above people. You know, mm-hmm. I. I think I'm far from that. Of mm-hmm. course, there's a tendency because we're all human. But whenever I look at people, I just see them as they are people, just like me suffering. In need of help, in need of someone to be their friend or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's how I, would, how, I would, how I would approach it, you know. That's a good way to approach it, I feel like. Yeah. I try not to, like, use titles, you know? Mm. Especially, like, you know, like, I, I don't introduce myself as, uh, yeah, I'm Elder Ricard. Like, like <laughs> that's, that's corny. Like, like, even when people in church refer me to, as that, like, I don't... It's like I go along with the politics because it's the position and the place that we're at, but I don't like it because it's too much of the hierarchy. You understand? Like that part, I, I can leave it out. Like for me, these titles were necessary to get to the goal, like the end goal, but it wasn't to just get there just to occupy a seat. And I feel like that's what a lot of our leaders are doing. Mm-hmm just occupying the seat and not putting in the necessary work for it. Mm. And I feel like that's what's, what's affecting the youth a lot. In regards to, to answer your, your question about what it is to be a man today, I feel like for a long time, they were pushing women, like strong women, independent women. Like, you know, there was a lot of songs about that. And they were... They, in a way, like, they kind of made men feel bad for being manly. Like, they called it toxic masculinity. And, you know, men kind of simmered it down. And in a way, men simmered it down too much to the fact that women kind of, like, now are making more than men in a lot of instances. And, you know, there's there's a lot of women in a lot of powerful positions. And some men, there are some men that are overly dependent on women, too. You know, like, there's this lot of women in relationships that are making more than the men. But I think to be a man, like, it should be always what it was to be a man. You know, you got to be able to provide. You got to be able to care. got to be able to love a woman, raise, help her raise children, you know, help build a home, be respectful, help your fellow man, help protect your community, protect what is yours. Don't let the next man disrespect you and continue to build those around you and yourself and protect your family. Like, to me, that's what it is being a man. Like, you know, as long as you can help yourself, your family, and your community, and be respectful and then be, like, a positive role model to those that's coming after you, too. I think that's what it's all about. 
that's what I always tried to do myself, you know, like whether it was at church or at work or, you know, at home, wherever it would be at, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to be perfect all the time. I'm not yeah. going to say you're going to get it right all the time either, you know, but it's part of the human experience. But, I mean, talking about the shift that's happening in society, right, where, like, women are now into the the workforce and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think, like, I kind of see this question a lot, right, where a lot of men feel threatened when they're, Mm-hmm. Their wife is making more than them. Do you think that, in a sense, demeans your masculinity? Does it make you less masculine because you talk about being able to provide? Right? So, how would that look like in, in mm-hmm. this society? Here's the thing, right? I think a woman making more than a man doesn't really bother the man. I think it bothers the man only when the woman throws it in his face. Because, say, for example, most of the time, men are going to pick up a woman that makes less than them, right? Like, a woman wants a man that makes more than her so he could help ease her load, you know, help her out with her bills or her expenses, you know, pamper her, take her out every now and then, take her on trips, make her feel good, you know? Knight in shiny armor. Like, that's what some women want. Not all women, but some women want that. A man, on the other hand, like, he wants to be able to provide. Like, his primal instincts is go out there you know, hunt, do whatever it is outside to bring something inside to eat on the table and to pay for what's on the inside and to protect what's on the inside. Um, But sometimes when it's arguments, especially when the woman knows that she makes more than the man, because who knows, the woman could make more than the man on paper and that's all she's doing, but the man could be making a certain amount on paper and making something off paper that is none of the woman's business. But because, you know, women... You don't want to tell them everything, man. Like, you know, they're going to run their mouth, whether it's at the nail salon or at the beauty salon or when they're with their homegirls and they bragging. Next thing you know, you got a whole recall. You know, you don't want to deal with that. <laughs> so sometimes you just keep certain women out of the business, you know. So, you know, but a woman could be thinking she's making more. And the next thing you know, she'll be like, oh, I make more than you, blah, blah. That's why, blah, blah. I'm taking care of you. And then next thing you know, the man gets mad and they're going back and forth. And then the woman gonna keep talking, and who knows, the man might smack her. So you know, then you got a DV situation. So you know that's has happened. That's how it's happening a lot. So sometimes you don't want to deal with that. Like, but sometimes, like when you get in a relationship, especially like a marriage or something, finances is gonna come up, especially when it comes to paying bills, buying the house, things like that. Some women want the man to pay for everything. Like you know, some men will argue that. Women want men to be traditional where they're paying for everything, but women don't want to be tra- works for you, you know, like do what works for you when you're in the dating stage, like getting to know someone. That's the point where you're supposed to find out, like, what's this person do for a living? What do I do for a living? Maybe what's serious, then you're going to know what it is you want to deal with. It. If you're comfortable with it, then you're comfortable with it, but you got to extend. I don't really encounter people with your views before, so mm-hmm. right now I'm just like thinking, you know. But my views, like how? I mean, the whole masculinity thing, because mm-hmm. oftentimes, right, going earlier when you said, you know, with the married person and the guy who has three, three, three women, you're like, you know what? Some it's like the other. Nah, I think most people they probably have their own affairs. I think it it it. it it depends on custom with Haitian people. I think most of the men have a mistress. 
I think majority of them do if we're going to be honest with ourselves and not lie. I think in other cultures it is too. When you get older to a certain age, you stop lying to yourself and you're like more honest with yourself. Like that's that's when you like you 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 have you ever noticed later on in life that's when you find out that there's family members that had like children that you didn't know about the whole time and you find out later on like they had a child back home or or this person was married before and then they married a second time and you find out later on but when you were younger when you were a kid you don't really know now so I just see things like the way it is you know like even in church in church there's like a lot of half siblings there's people that got married a few times on every level from the bottom all the way up you know there's people that got married two three times got divorced before got married again you know like a lot of that be a facade bro like a lot of that be like people want to look like they're perfect because they want to look like they're winning mm. <laughs> That's what it is. It's a race, and people want to look like they're winning. That's true. I guess my question now would be like, from a biblical standpoint, because I know, I mean, you seem like you're well versed in like the Bible and everything. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> what would masculine masculinity look like, especially, let's say, for like a teenager, someone growing up in this times? You know. You want me to show you an example of it biblically? Like, um, I guess your thoughts. You no, know? I got it. I got a military died because he was cursed because of what he did he killed a man and then he committed adultery and then he yeah i mean he bummed the apple and i guess like um like the way you're saying it right has that affordability to do that you know it's, it's not something that you could easily do he has been able that's, come on if someone has 700 million that's a billion dollars i don't own this it's like that's how all of them like leader is someone who does what in your opinion Uh, a leader to me, like, but we could say that the way he went about it is not, is maybe not, it's obviously not the way you would have went about it, but it worked for him in a sense, you know, and he's capitalized on it. Like he's, he's able to live with his decisions and his choices on what he did. So I guess for him, like it, it worked out for him. That's fair. Yeah. But I guess to your question about what I would do if I had his. Uh, I would say it's more to leading than just like starting, because you gotta know what you're starting on and what where you're going, basically. You know. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, as a leader, what goals do you have for the people? Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it would be enjoying a pleasurable life. And what would that constitute? But when yeah, when people think of pleasure, you think of like constantly having fun, constantly doing this, right? Mm -hmm. and I I was studying hedonism a bit because I'm a hedonist a little bit, you know. <laughs> You know, people always mistake it for that. Like, you just went to a party, you're having sex, you're doing all this and that. But it's not about that. There's also, <laughs> yeah, there's like a bit of discipline to it. There's a bit of, okay, you know, I'm going to just avoid pain. I'm going to just avoid anxiety and stuff. You know, for me, it would be like... But that would be the same thing. It's almost like the person that stays high all the time. In order to get away from reality. Like, I'm going to avoid pain, so I'm just going to numb it. I'm just going to keep numbing it. Mm, I mean... Not, not really, I mean, kind of, but like in hedonism, he doesn't really say always up there mm. and always down there. It's always like a, a static. It's like you're just like steady, 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 you know? Yeah, but if you're steady, then you're not progressing. Like low-key, you're declining. You just don't know it. I mean, it depends on what you mean by... Or just surviving. I could use my, uh, I could use my clients, for example. Like the, the, the people at the shelter, so, uh, some of them are just like this. Mm. They're living off the government. They know if they stay in the building, they get three meals in the in the bed. 
and that's all they're doing day to day. That's it. Mm-hmm. So they're like right here in the middle. Right? I mean, and they're like that for years. In that sense, but I was I was talking more about like desires, right? Because you mm-hmm. know how like, for example, there are some desires that you have. When you do it, that's maximum pleasure. Mm-hmm. But the drawbacks, maximum mm-hmm. pain, right? So it's like, can you really? In your life, if you're on this, like, okay, I'm good. I did this, but that's oh, I feel bad now. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I guess for me, my vision of a of a world or as a leader is to is to honestly see people. I mean, there's also breaking from trauma. That would be one thing, but to have purpose in life, you know, to mm-hmm. have a goal they're working towards, to have someone that they can, in a sense, rely on, you know, to lead them to like this destination, this promised land, you know. Okay. Okay. And, that would look like perhaps community. I'm very big on community, on having friends, on having a sense of um, support system, you feel me? So, yeah. So are you willing to become a leader? I don't think you're ever willing already, you know, just thrust it out there, you feel me? I mean, if it comes down to that, if that's what God wants from me, then I guess... You know, I just have to do it. There's no, like, no, but maybe. It's just, like, I'm just going to do it. But I wouldn't look at myself as, like, a per se leader. I, I feel like when you think of yourself as that, I, that's in my opinion. It's like you kind of fill your head up. I would more focus on, like, okay, I'm helping people. Mm-hmm. We're going somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's all. I don't want the title, like you said, mm-hmm. the elder stuff. I don't really care about the title. Mm. It's more about what I'm doing to help people. If you call that a leader, so be it. If not, then so be it. You know I mean? So that's like my mindset. So if you were, so nomination is coming up, right? In church. Yeah. So so if you were to be nominated as youth leader, how would you feel about that? Or what would you do differently? <laughs> what that, for the youth? Oh. Yeah, real life scenario. Real life scenario. Yeah, that's what you wanted. I would say for one... You know, mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of youth leaving the church, right? For a lot of reasons. Of course, you see that. Yeah, and there's also a divide between the youth and the elders. It's so always been that way. Yeah, so it's like the old is gonna die off anyways. Yeah, but the old are valuable too. You know, I feel like we often separate them aside. You know. Yeah, the old for counsel and the young for war. Yeah, so that's what the Bible says. Yeah, so it's like I would priority number one would be to have them sit down together and just like, hey guys, this is what we need to work on together. This is what we feel like should be done. This is what can be done. The sort of compromise where, okay, we're just like, okay, guys, we're in this together. Let's move forward, you know. But who's going to bridge that gap? What do you mean? Like, who's bridging that gap? I would say someone who understands both sides, you know. Mm. It doesn't have to necessarily be an elder. It doesn't have to be someone who's younger. Mm. I would think, I would say it's a person with a mindset who's like, okay, guys, we have something to do, mm-hmm. like a leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could call that the leader, someone who everyone is like, you know what? This person, he has something that he can produce. You know? He can offer something, you feel me? So if you call that, I guess you can call that the leader, you know? Do uh, you remember the example I gave you earlier, right? Yeah. About my church and how it took us over 30 years to buy a building. And I remember... Remember when I was telling you how, like, we all go through human experiences, even in church, right? Mm-hmm. I want to do something. Mm-hmm. So it was like, but she was like, yeah, I understand all that. But it's like, you know, it was the man, more or less. Because men judge other men, you know? Because they in the Bible, it says that the only man that is perfect is God. And for a man to say that he is perfect, that's 
him to say that God is a liar because we all from sin. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the verse? All, all men, all men are sinners, and for man to say that he is not a sinner is to say that God is a liar. So it's like all men were sinners. That's why Christ had to die on the cross. So it's like, yeah. how can you be perfect when the only pers- the only perfect person that walked on earth was Jesus, right? That's what it teaches you in the Christian doctrine. And then he, he died on the cross and then went up. But then even Jesus had his... It's the real world.